Hello, everyone. Before we get started with this podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are meeting today, the Nunawal and the Namri people, and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. We'd also like to acknowledge the custodians of all the lands from where anybody listening to this podcast is also joining us from. So I feel like Empowered Communities operates a little bit like a diplomatic service trying to keep connections alive between community and government and so trying to structure systems and have people in the team that can move between uh, those uh, far-flung places and stay connected. It's the real challenge. The EC really has paved the way in terms of place-based partnerships and place-based decision-making and supporting community to actually say, this is what we want, this is what we need, and holding government to account in that regard. And so Empower Communities and MPY is not cut and paste Empower Communities in Northeast Ireland or Empower Communities on the Central Coast. So it's as varied as the communities in which we, we try and empower, really. And I think that's unique. There have actually been some really good uh, interactions and response from people. Currently, there's a large network of the emerging leaders have made a, the alumni have made a group together, like a WhatsApp group, just so they can keep in contact with each other. Welcome to Public Sector Unearthed, a Work With Purpose spin-off series about the people who drive grassroots change and reform in Australia's public sector. If you're wondering about the unfamiliar voice, my name is Julia Arens and I'm IPA ACT's Communications and Engagement Manager. Both are normal presenters that you're very familiar with. Megan and Brooke are taking a well-deserved break today. So for those tuning in for the first time, on Public Sector Unearthed, we are putting people and their stories front and centre. So that means our guests talk about their journeys in the public service and how they're making a difference through their work, mentoring communities of practice, diversity and inclusion networks, and the effective promotion of values and purpose of the public sector. But as you'll hear today, we also have the opportunity to connect with people in community and in community organizations and the difference they are making and how they're working together with government. So you would have probably heard this in the intro, but um, those were some of our highlights of today's episode. And these are a few of the people behind the scenes of the Empowered Communities program. And um, we really hope it's making you want to listen in to the whole episode today. So we'll jump straight into the conversation in just a minute. But let me tell you a bit more about our panelists before we do. Christina Musial-Adaran, who is Advisor Empowered Communities at the National Indigenous Australians Agency, was the one joining me in the studio. And Rashawn Singer and Jason Quinn from NPY Empowered Communities Partnership dialed in all the way from Alice Springs. So to give you an idea, the Empowered Communities is a program through which the Australian government is working with First Nations leaders and communities, supporting ownership and building true partnerships. During that process, all parties look to set priorities, improve services and apply funding effectively at a regional level. So Empowered Communities is currently active in 10 regions across Australia. Christina, Jason and Rashawn will tell us how the program runs from the ground up, how they connect with community and what motivates them to keep going every day. Let's jump into the conversation. 
very excited to be here today with Christina, Jason and Rashawn. So we'll hear about the inner workings of the Empowered Communities Program in just a bit of a second. But before that, I'd love to take um, a minute and speak about a bit of more of a personal aspect. And I might start with you on that, Jason. What is something, some aspect of your job when you get in in the morning that sort of makes you smile and keeps you motivated? Well, fortunately, we've moved our team out to this really beautiful place called the Desert Knowledge Precinct. And as a result, arriving at work means driving through local bushland. Say the week before last, I arrived in the morning and there was a goanna on the road and it ran off to a log and sat there and I stopped and looked at it. And then I drove in a bit further and there was a bowerbird in the tree next to the car park and, and I went inside and felt already pretty grounded in the landscape that we work in. And, and there's a big painting inside the lobby as we walk in that speaks to the corkwoods, the type of tree that is common in this area and the dreaming story linked to that. And so the best part about my job is just how connected it is to community and connected to the history of the region and the ongoing life of people who've lived here long before colonisation and that the work is very much about remedying uh, some of those impacts and trying to achieve better outcomes uh, for people living in this region, people from this region, and having those reminders in terms of place and the idea that life uh, as it's understood here is inherently linked to country uh, and people and the environment around us. And, and it's good to be reminded of that. And in my work, I, I'm, that's pretty present, which is healthy and good for me. That sounds fantastic. I love I love that. And you, you can when you talk, you can feel that that connection that that you make with with country and the people around you, Christina. I mean, we do have beautiful wildlife in Canberra as well. But for you, what what is it that puts a smile on your face every day? It's not Woden, but uh, I think Impact News is such a unique um, partnership with government in that usually government is the person saying we have this funding and here's what we want you to do with it. And it's pretty rigid and it's very time limited. And Empowered Communities kind of flips that on its head in terms of we're an enabling partner. But in my work with Empowered Communities at NIAA, I work across the agency in supporting Empowered Communities. I get to see programs and aspects of the agency that I wouldn't otherwise see in my bubble. I get to learn about, you know, 10 regions in Australia. I was at West Kimberley Monday. Hey, it takes a lot to get to West Kimberley, but I was there on Monday for meetings with the EC Backbone there. Um, and I get to just see the beautiful country and landscape there as well. I got to go to Derby and, and work at a Derby for a while. So I think I, I'm uniquely, like, I love showing up at work and just digging in and seeing different aspects of how we can take this further. What's going on in this space that we need to link up a community to? How do we leverage that and not just stick with the status quo? Yeah, that's that's really powerful. And um, Rishan, yet for you, what what is it for you? Because like obviously, there's the connection to country as well. Yeah, uh, for me, it would be so. I'm a bit lucky. I get to do a lot more driving than Jason. So I get to get to drive around. I'm currently out bush right now. I don't know if you, I don't know if there's echoes in here. I'm very echoey in my end. But um, for me, it's like 
it's good to travel and because everyone in the region is related to me as well. So it's not just like going for like a work thing. It's almost like just an outing with family members going out bush and a lot of our workshops and all that are out bush as well. Or there's a bit of both going out country as well as working in an office. Yeah, it's it's great. Like what puts smiles to my face is like like t- coming out bush, seeing family members and then we, like just catching up with family members and then and I start talking about work. It takes a while for them to adjust to, oh, we're talking about work right now. And they're like, oh, and then it's like, oh, well, you, you do this. And then they start asking questions about what I do. And then like, like oh, I was like, can I do that? And, and then I say, like most of the emerging leaders bring them on like that sort of, it's family members, but also like they also trying to improve themselves as well. So it's using that connection and it's, yeah, the kinship is the great network to have. Like when when all the three of you are speaking, like I feel like I can actually sort of put a picture together in my head of what it looks like and what it what it feels like this program. So, um, Christine, I'd love to hear from you a bit about compared to other programs, what makes um, empowered communities so special? I mean, as I mentioned before, we're not government's not the driver. We we're what we call an enabling partner, and so when empowered communities was first. Um, Implemented in 2015, it was bipartisan support from the governments. Um, And there was this real momentum behind actually saying what government is doing to date isn't working. It's top-down, it's bureaucratic, and EC really has paved the way in terms of place-based partnerships and place-based decision-making and supporting community to actually say, this is what we want, this is what we need, and holding government to account in that regard. And so Empower Communities and MPY is not cut and paste Empower Communities in Northeast Arnhem Land or Empower Communities on the Central Coast. So it's as varied as the communities in which we, we try and empower, really. And I think that's unique. And I think government only now is turning its mind to how do we make place-based work? These guys are ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. I mean... It was first talked about in 2013. It's been 10 years. It's it's really nice to see it evolve and change. Yes, it, it seems to really shine a spotlight on that specific approach in government at the moment where um, Glenn Davis has just recently talked about it, that there needs to be more place space, more community-led listening instead of leading the projects and having the communities instead lead those lead those projects. So that's just, a, yeah, it seems to be really, as you said, ahead of the curve. And it's not consultation. Like I think government as bureaucrats, we think we're doing partnership and what we're really doing is con- really f- to complex consultation processes. And I'm sure Jason and Rashawn can tell you more about, I guess, the work from their end in terms of what differentiates empower communities from other government processes which they're engaged in. Uh, but NIAA, it's really about a partnership and stepping back and letting the empower communities regions actually set the agenda for what change they want to see in their community. I think that's that's actually a really good point to jump in probably for for Jason because, yeah, you um, are the executive manager for the Backbone team in the NPY region. Can you tell us a bit more about the region? Because I remember from our pre-chat, it's quite a complex kind of region and um, how you're running the empowered communities in that kind of setting. Thanks, Julia. Uh, well, an interesting point uh, that I would raise and given what little I know about your background, it's interesting that perhaps to say that the MPY region, the Nanandara, Pitindara, Yankundara region, straddles a tri-state area. The APY lands, Animal Pitindara lands in South Australia, several communities along the southern border of the Northern Territory, and then the Nanandara lands in Western Australia. And 
in terms of land mass, it's equivalent to the size of continental Germany. It's massive, yeah. And that's an often, re- yeah, it's an often reflected point that perhaps anywhere between five and 8,000 people, uh, depending upon how you want to draw the line and how you want to calculate populations, that's very few people for a, such a large area. And the population of Germany, uh, is that 80 million or something like that? 80, I think 81, we're nearing 83. I have a, yeah. Well, it's interesting it's to say difference. perhaps 8,000 versus 80 million. The challenges of distance, uh, the tyranny of distance, as is often said, is a really big characteristic of the region that impacts on the costs of delivering services, the, the costs of just simply people staying in touch with one another. Um, as, as Rashawn indicated, familial or family relations are really strong. People are really connected with each other. And that's, I should have said before, one of the things that makes me smile about my job is getting to work with Rashawn and others. Um, Rashawn, if you haven't picked up already, is actually um, great fun to be around and, and I'm always learning from him. But it's worth reflecting that in this context, it's amazing how aware people are of each other and who's related to who and who's doing what. I think that um, I, I feel like I always feel like I have a very small brain in the context of keeping track of people uh, when I'm when I'm reflecting on that. Um, but the point is that all of these people living across broad distances are very connected. And so social activities, et cetera, bring people together across vast distances. And that has all sorts of implications in terms of costs and, and time. And I guess for us, the number one challenge for this region as compared to other empowered communities regions is that it's a tri-state region. We're dealing with a trilateral governmental environment with different rules on different sides of the mm. borders people who may be engaging with uh, a system in one state then have to try to interact with a system that's just across the border. They might be a child who goes to live with relatives uh, an hour away, but that may cross a state, a jurisdictional border, and then there are all sorts of implications. And so trying to coordinate and harmonise that environment is is uh, in the context of a reform initiative is very challenging. Uh, and so listening to people about their challenges and looking for ways to overcome them uh, are at the heart of Empowered Communities' work. Uh, and we've got this added complication of a tri-state environment. It does. It does sound like obviously a very complex thing to to keep in mind because you have to really every day think about the different sort of regulations and rules and how do we how do we actually connect people with each other across across those across those well borders in both in minds but also in how in how it's split up. So, um, Rashawn, obviously you you said you talked a bit about how you get to drive much more around the region um, and you're a bit more a bit more mobile than just sitting behind a desk. Can you can you tell us a bit about like a day in the life? Usually if I'm at the office, I'm trying to keep in like keep track of where everyone is, just in case if it's like up in like coming up to a workshop 
by one of our merchant leaders program. Yeah, it's always fun to try and figure out because lot of, like a lot of the people, everyone moves a lot. I think they spend like maybe a month in some people spend a month in the community and then they move to the next community just because how everyone's related. They just everyone likes to travel around. So it's fun. They go to the homelands. No, there's no phone reception as well. So you got to try and find people. When they saw the last person, like maybe two days ago, you got to try and track down the next person that saw them. And then if you can't do that, you, I just usually drive and try and find people. And yeah, there's a lot of ringing. There's a lot of and a lot of um, yeah, a lot of driving and just relying on other other merchant leaders if they've seen that person, if they can. And if they're in another community, then I'll try and usually get someone to go find someone. And yeah, this yeah, a lot of management of that, but it's great. Yeah, as you said, you, you you there's a bit of that managing the the professional and the personal relationships and how those come come together as well, and how you step in personally in into those um, into those relationships. And it's it's it sounds like a yeah, like you really sort of the glue that that sticks everything that makes everything stick 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 together in the in the program. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, wonderful. So, um, Jason, like. Talking about things making making things stick stick together. Obviously, there's there's Christina's role, there's Rashan's role, and I feel like you sort of sit sit in the middle of that. So, how do you help sort of build that crucial connection between what is often happening in like in Canberra in a government department and what's happening in community? Yeah, it's it's a good way of looking at things. I feel like empowered communities operates a little bit like a diplomatic service trying to keep connections alive between community and government. And so trying to structure systems and have people in the team that can move between uh, those uh, far-flung places and stay connected, that's the real challenge. And so it's also about trying to merge digital systems and the tangible systems of a full drive and a long dirt road out in between remote communities. And as Rashawn points out, it's a, a very highly variable environment between stakeholders who are on the end of a video call versus uh, people who are relying on a landline public phone in a community. Uh, and everything in between. A lot of the emerging leaders for one program that we work with are people who are working across schools or health services and they use smartphones and email uh, or our community panel that helps with joint decision-making, older people, senior leaders who may not maintain a phone and certainly don't use email and they might sit on four or five community boards uh, and it is amazing what they maintain in their minds when we think about how we rely on our smartphones for our diaries and our email inboxes and everything else. And so we have to work across various systems. And as Rashawn says, we have to be constantly updating our understanding of where people are, how to contact them, and maintaining uh, expansive networks of people just so that we can keep in touch with with key stakeholders Um so I guess we aspire to be uh, have something of a nervous system across the lands. Um, whether we achieve that or not, it's up to other people to judge, but that's what we have to try to do. I love that idea of the nervous system and building those connections. And Rashawn, you sort of became part, part of that nervous system through um, the Emerging Leaders Program. So you told me that you were doing 
doing the program, but you were also acting as a bit of an interpreter. And so nowadays, sort of being involved with the program as well, how are people from community responding to it? And what what are your experiences with people who are doing the Emerging Leaders Program? How people are responding to it is um, there have actually been some really good uh, interactions and response from people. Currently, there's a large network of the Emerging Leaders have made a, from the alumni have made a group together, like a WhatsApp group, just so they can keep in contact with each other. And a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, from the workshop, from the Emerging Leaders workshop, a lot of the um, stuff we've done, which is like self help, sorry, leadership itself. So a lot of people have taken that initiative around what's happening within the APY mainly, just with like keeping up date with what's happening with the local land council and like uh, the everything like and trying to keep on touch uh, up to date with what's happening and how they can add on to that and um, how they can help the older, older people and also younger people as well, creating their own groups and sort of having a voice. And uh, getting all these, so a lot of a lot of good things have come. Like people, a lot more people are talking to each other more, not just with like family wise, but like people are actually starting about talking about what the young people need, what's the next steps that needs to be taken. So a lot of a lot of uh, looking towards the future. Yeah, a lot of that's happening, so which is which is great. And just watching that, usually from like the family members and other participants that are usually have been a bit quiet around all that stuff, and seeing them like almost yeah being the voices for the younger people is great that's fantastic so obviously like I, I can see I can see the pride on, on everyone's faces when they talk about it. it's it's about this program it's it's quite um quite amazing quite quite outstanding and um Christina obviously like listening to what Rashawn just said a bit about the program how people seem to just yeah they they rise to the next challenge they're really keen to to you know listen take things on make a difference how does that make you feel about the future of the program oh like i it's fantastic to see that i mean what i was saying before is we're not driving it we're supporting it and to see the young people at mpy lands picking it up what was a vision from some of their elders and leaders and community from 10 years ago and actually going well how are we going to make this work for us how are we going to bring this forward and how can we ensure that we can rise up as the next generation of leaders? I think it's fantastic. Well, we hope to, of course, see see this program rise up further. And I think um, I'm just very grateful that the three of you have made time to to come and speak with us today. I'm sure people will really love um, listening to to some of that those stories that you've told today because they're both both very obviously very professional in nature, but there's always like a heart, there's heart in it. And that, that's a really great thing to, great thing to hear. So um, what really, yeah, in this conversation, what really sort of stood out for me is like, obviously it's, it's a very complex environment to, to operate in, but the way you make it sound, it's like, it's almost not, not easy, but you make it look like it's, it's a really doable thing and it will encourage people, I believe, to, to and keep going. I would going. also say from, I guess, an NIAA perspective, as you know, as Jason was talking about, yeah. like the uh, nervous system, we have our regional offices who are on the ground supporting local leaders as well, supporting the Empower Communities backbones and working closely with them as well. It's yeah. not just Canberra. No. I feel like I'm a small part of a big machine mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, doing my best to keep the good word up and ensure that the department listens and considers community viewpoints in how we develop our policies yeah. and implement our programs. And that's where I see myself sitting in Canberra. Fantastic. Well, thank the three of you so much. And um, well, I hope, it, we, you know, maybe we'll at one, at one stage revisit the program, maybe in 10 years time, see where it's grown into, because it's it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Julia. Thank you, Julia. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. 
So listeners, what did you enjoy about this story today? Let us know by leaving a comment on our social media channels or even better by writing a review. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify and many other podcast platforms. We're now rapidly approaching the holiday period and I know many of you might already be on leave and I'd like to take a second on behalf of the teams at IPA ACT and Content Group to thank you for another year of supporting the Work With Purpose podcast series. There is a lot of love that goes into producing each of these these episodes and as I'm sitting here with the production team in the room, I'm just really grateful and we are really grateful that you love the episodes as well. In the coming weeks, we'll switch to our holiday programming. So that means you'll get the opportunity to listen back to some of our favorite or more so your favorite episodes um, of this year. So this podcast is produced in partnership with Content Group and the APS Reform Office. If you'd like to hear more about how the government is engaging with communities and other organizations, we do highly recommend you check out the APS Reform Office's Charter of Partnerships and Engagement. We've left a link to that in the show notes. So for now, have a great break and we hope to have you back listening to Work With Purpose and Public Sector Unearthed in the new year.